Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. of Pop Life. We'll take you through all the goings-ons in pop culture. Glad to have you aboard with us tonight. We do this show once a month. We talk movies, TV, maybe even books, music. So many things to talk about. Head on over to Facebook. You want to get involved? Like our page, Pop Life, uh, over there on Facebook. Get involved in the conversation. There's so many things for us to talk about tonight. So let's get it first off. Got to introduce, obviously, Todd is on board tonight. Todd, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, Ken. How are you? Doing great. You know, I'm, doing, I'm excited, actually, you know, just to let everyone know out there, um, I'm involved in something that's kind of a, a labor of love, and, uh, you know, if anyone's in the Rockland County area, May 31st, uh, we're doing a benefit for the American Cancer Society, and uh, excited, you know, I've, I've been involved in music and performing for quite a long time and uh you know been in a couple bands but i i started a new band called dirty martini where we're doing uh kind of sinatra era rat pack era uh type music uh real excited just to do that kind of music i mean you i don't know singing like sinatra you just can't help but feel cool that, that, but, yeah it's got to feel great and it's that's a very cool idea this is a great thing you're doing departure i've seen you perform in a number of different bands and this is not like anything you've done before yeah, I'm I'm kind of pumped. I mean, it's again for the American Cancer Society, and I've I've worked on the Relay for Life every year for a few years now. Um, and and you know, interestingly enough, uh, my grandmother who who passed away from a colon cancer, uh, when she passed away, I inherited her vinyl collection. Oh, nice. And so for years, I've always and I've always enjoyed this genre. Um, I just never thought like it would be really cool to perform it and then just one day a light bulb went off and was like hey you know let's do a benefit uh with dirty martinis so that's may 31st uh congress new york um pepper mill south and uh the cool thing is that the pepper mill has 
agreed to allow 20% of all food and drink sales will go to the American Cancer Society Relay for Life. There'll be a, a few raffles going on. The raffles, 100% of the, the monies will be going to the Relay for Life. And us, Dirty Martini, we're not getting paid for the, thing, for the gig, so we're just uh, we're there performing, entertaining the masses, and we're encouraging people, look, whatever you have, come on by, but we're encouraging. You know, black tie is encouraged. Come on and embrace the era of, you know, when people would go out and they dress up. We just want to have that, that cool vibe of yesteryear. And, you know, it's neat because we're doing, you know, oldies like that. We're doing some Sinatra, Ray Charles, uh, uh, Patsy Cline, uh, stuff like that. But we're doing a, a, a new take on, on some newer songs. So we're just kind of getting that vibe. And, and one of the songs that I've always kind of thought kind of captures that, that feel of, of that era, um, New York State of Mind. And, oh, and there, there are a few Billy Joel songs that kind of capture that. And we're doing that song, which I'm excited about. And as luck would have it, with Billy Joel doing his concert thing, uh, you got to go see Billy Joel at the Garden recently. I would love to hear your review and your take on Billy Joel at the Garden. Well, you know, I love Billy Joel. When we discussed this a few months ago, you know, I, I mentioned I'm a big fan. I've seen him in concert a few times. You said you're a fan, if I recall correctly, you're a fan of Billy Joel's greatest hits. You don't know a lot yeah. of the albums, the, the you know, deep cuts, but you love what you hear. You would have loved this concert, too. Um, I guess, you know, he hasn't put out a new album since 1991 or so. At that no, point, when he tore... Hello. When you tour, um, hello. When you tour, wait, what's going on? Um, hello. When you tour, I'm just gonna wait for this little technical. I, I, I think we're up. okay now. I'm, I'm all like, right. all right. There was there was kind of an echo going on, but uh, it's cool. You got to hear like what you were saying twice, but yeah, it was just that important. <laughs> um, you know, you, you there's no there's no new album to promote, so you're doing a lot of greatest hits. Um, and I was looking forward to hearing some of the other stuff. I think it was the best of both worlds. First of all, I've got to say, it was, uh, it was Billy's 65th birthday. So I knew we were in for something special. I didn't know exactly what. Uh, but we had a nice, a nice opening act. Gavin DeGraw came out at 45 minutes. So he was very good. Howard Stern came out. Howard Stern, who, you know, used to be very divisive. I think he's now, uh, a lot more mainstream with age and with his uh, whatever show he's on as a judge now. <laughs> America's Got Talent. And he said that Billy Joel approached him and said that he wanted to donate all of the proceeds from this show last Friday to the North Shore Animal League, a main, major animal shelter around here, which I thought was amazing. Um, <clears throat> Billy Joel did got easily a dozen songs off of his Greatest Hits album, and he I guess with age, again, some people have to mellow out a little bit. The fact that he plays piano makes it easy for him to get by doing the same thing. High energy, but he doesn't have to run around the stage or anything. Put on a terrific show, did all of the hits you'd love to hear. Some of the ones, you know, even from greatest hits that I really wanted him to play, like uh, The Ballad of Billy the Kid, The Entertainer, uh, Scenes from an Italian Restaurant. But I went into this thinking, all right, there are three songs that are not on his greatest hits album that I would love to hear, and I lucked out he did two of them. Which nice. Was it, I've been to concerts with you, Ken, a long time ago, where I said to you, man, I hope this guy plays just this one song. And it was a big hit, and he didn't play it. Like, how did this happen? 
We went to see Phil Collins. <laughs> I knew you were going there. Yeah. And we, I said, all I want him to do for me is I wish it would rain down. And it was like a major hit within the past six months, and he didn't do the song. No, it was, it was that tour. It was that it tour. It was that tour. And it was like it a is. recent hit. So he, Billy Joel did Zanzibar and Sometimes a Fantasy, which are two of my favorites. Oh, nice. Uh, Jimmy Fallon came out partway through, did a little barbershop quartet thing, did a duet with Billy, sang Happy Birthday. It was just overall a terrific night. You know, I started the night thinking, I, I don't want to sing along. I want to sit here and just take it in. And by the end, I was up, I was singing, the, whole, <laughs> the crowd was. So uh, a terrific show. Yeah, all in all, great. I recommend it. You know, I think he's sold out for the year, but uh, he's going to keep playing the garden once a month. So uh, get your tickets, check it out. And that, that, that's high praise. I got to tell you something. And, and Todd and I have, have known each other for quite some time. And I have found, and, and it's, it's great you're giving it high praise, but I have had a difficult time over the years because my first concert, and I'm not sure if it was yours, but we were there. Yes. But my first concert was Michael Jackson. And it, it's been like one of those things where, you know, I, I, like, I'll go to see shows and people are like, oh, that's a great show. And I'm like, eh. That first high, right? It's yeah. That, it's like, you never live up to that first high. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like being a heroin addict. It's like every concert. <laughs> there have been a few that have been, you know, I've seen Prince a number of times, and he's, you know, he's amazing. And I've seen some, some great shows. Right. But he really set the bar kind of high. Do you find yourself, you know, having seen him, and, and I, over the years now, especially since he's passed away, I, I have kind of gotten to the point where like i'm, I'm very thankful and I, I really i never thought it before but i'm very lucky because there's a lot of people that i'll say oh yeah i saw michael and they're like oh my god really you're so so a lot of people didn't get a chance to to see him no. live he didn't do a number of of solo tours that was his last north american tour so that was it that was the last chance you had to see him and uh, yeah, I, I agree. The bar was set very high. I had seen a few shows before. My first concert actually was Whitney Houston, and she set the bar pretty damn low. She sang, <laughs> she sang like Whitney Houston sings. It was great, but well, there good. was no show. She was standing in the middle of uh, what was then Brendan Byrne Arena in the Meadowlands uh, in Jersey uh, on a small circular stage with no instruments, no set, no effect on it. It was just her singing and. Look, that's what she does best, but that's at the bar kind of low. And then a couple of concerts later, I'm watching Michael on the Bad Tour. Oh, man. I mean, really, I'd say maybe Billy and Elton face-to-face, that was a tremendous concert. And, you know, a couple of other Billy Joel shows. There have been some others that have uh, really been uh, top in my top five, but... I don't know if anything really can uh, compare to the Michael Jackson concert. But it's kind of cool, like knowing that we're we're the types that, you know, kind of set the bar high, and then yeah. you know we can kind of be critical. Like you're you're definitely wholeheartedly 100% recommending go see Billy Joel. Absolutely, the guy puts on a hell of a show. A lot of people tour now, you know, with their greatest hits. You know, you can go see the Rolling Stones or Bruce Springsteen. And I'm sure they put on a great show too. Uh, and, and the other thing is, you know, when we were kids. Uh, up until I really stopped seeing concerts all the time. A concert was 30 bucks. Yeah. That's what every concert, you're like, is it 27 or is it 30? And that was <laughs> it. And now it's a hell of an expensive ticket. This was worth the money. It was a great concert, and I'd put it up there in my top ones. Uh, got to go see Billy Joel if you get the chance. That's fine. You know, we got the summer concert season coming up, so right. hopefully we'll see some more that we can talk about on the show. And, you know, sometimes, like you're saying, concert tickets are expensive, but sometimes, 
you know, you catch like a, a cheaper show somewhere, and like, like a few years back, I saw ZZ Top, and they were amazing, and I never would have thought it's a cheaper show at Jones Beach, and those guys don't change. They're, the beards and the sunglasses. They so like, I, I didn't think it would be like a show I would love, and I absolutely loved seeing them. And uh, this year, I'm excited because I'm going to see Kiss for the first time, so I will nice. be excited to be on this show and give you a, a Kiss review. And uh, I'm actually going to see the Monkees. I've always dug the Monkees, so I'm right. excited to go and. See them perform. Um, now, so, Ken, you were there, right, when we saw Davy Jones? Yes. The free Davy Jones concert for, for the 4th of July At fireworks. At Clarkstown South. Yes, and that was a fun concert. We saw some good uh, 4th of July fireworks shows. But uh, the Monkees, that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, it's funny because I, st- I have a cassette somewhere autographed by Davy Jones. Right. Like I just brought my Then and Now cassette and <laughs> got, him, got him to sign it. But, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, you know... I, I got into it when the Monkees did like their revival on MTV. I was I yep. was pretty into them, and uh, I'm I'm excited to go see them. So hopefully over the course of the the summer, you know, we'll see a couple of shows, and we'll be able to bring you some concert reviews and let you know if it's if it's worth the money or not. But uh, that's cool though. I'm glad you you had a good time. Cause that's the worst when you go to a concert and you're like, why did I spend the money? Right. Yeah. It's uh infrequent it's uh you know something you've said about going to the movies you go with the mindset that you're going to have a good time and almost always you will have a good time so uh you know when that doesn't work out it's a real shame concerts are a hell of a lot more of a, a an expense and a commitment than than going to a movie so uh this one won't let you down and I, that's a good point, you know, when, when you talk about it. and I've always said this that you know there are very few movies that I I don't enjoy because I do go there with that attitude. And if, if I went back in, in my movie career and, and movies that really just, you know, maybe there wasn't a lot of substance, but it just made me feel good right. uh, at the end of the movie, just kind of entertained me and, and, you know, walked out of the theater with a smile on my face. If I actually sat down and enlisted those movies that had done that for me, two of the movies that quite possibly would be on the list would be Who Framed Roger Rabbit and and Hook. Oh, right. Um, you know, both those movies, I I walked out smiling from ear to ear, uh, ear to ear, a lot of fun. And unfortunately, we we now mourn the passing of Bob Hoskins, who passed away uh, since we did the last show. A rather accomplished actor yes. um, over the years, had a forty plus year career uh, in England and, and in the states. Uh, TV in England, uh, lots of movies. Uh, you know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was one of those movies that, I mean, everyone, just everyone remembers that. Everyone remembers, uh, you know, seeing it. Everyone remembers Jessica. Uh, you know, it just it, it's one of those great movies that, that combine live action and animation. He was always one of those guys that, even, you know, at times he was in movies that he played a, a villain or, you know, in Nixon he played J. Edgar Hoover. Right. Um, but he was a guy that was eminently likable. There's just something about him. And, and he was, you know, when I heard he passed away, it was just kind of, you know, it was sad because I just thought he was, he was just one of those guys you just, you just liked him. Yeah, so liked, uh, it's that, that every man type of guy and not just, you know, look, he was a British actor. I don't think anyone knew it when we first saw Who Framed Roger Rabbit because he played that, that gruff American type so well. Um, yeah, he definitely was one of those guys that, like, when you saw him in an interview, you were like, no! Right, exactly. Uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit itself was groundbreaking. It certainly was his his breakout role and probably, in the end, his most memorable. 
uh, it, for me, it revived. Not that I had lost it. You know, I was probably 16 or so at the time. So it's not like I had stopped watching cartoons for that long, but it revived my interest in what animation could be because that combination of the two was incredible. And uh, and it, I, I remember Hook very well and said, hey, there's that guy from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> um, and then, unfortunately, he did uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. And you said, well, he could do Italian too. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, that thing was, uh, well, kind of the, the footnote. We don't need to mention that one in his career. Uh, of course, I just did, because that's what I do. Um, but I remember when he was in the movie uh, Unleashed with Jet Li, okay. and, and he played a, a, a villain, and I, I, I just he was he was just kind of like this vicious loan shark type character, and he, you know, he was a guy that just you know he was that chameleon actor that right. even though he had a very specific look, you know, he's a guy like you're saying he could do Italian, even though. I'm not putting that movie up as one of the best movies right. of all time. He, he he could nail it. You know, he could give you what accent do you need, what kind of character do you need, and he could just do it. And uh, saddened by by the loss of a guy like Bob Hoskins. And he could do gruff in any accent pretty well. Yeah, very good. Uh, you know, another another uh, unfortunate loss recently was not as well known by name, um, but his work was certainly very well known. Al Feldstein was the editor of Mad Magazine from uh, the 50s or 60s through the 1980s, which covers pretty much when uh, we would have read the magazine and probably a lot of our listeners as well. This guy uh, oversaw the the rise of Mad from you know something very small. I think it increased eight to ten times in circulation, and he hired all of those writers whose names you probably remember, Don Martin, Mort Drucker, Angelo Torres, and Dave Berg. Um, and he saw this magazine, you know, to the, the rise to what it was. And it was an important part of our childhood. It was one of the few things that I read on a regular basis uh, when I was, you know, a preteen, uh, teenage years. Uh, I loved it. Did you read Mad Magazine? Of course. I mean, it was just one of those things. I remember it being one of those magazines that my parents didn't like, which, sure. which uh, made it all the more enticing and... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just you know, it's one of those things that it's. I think for a lot of kids, w- without even knowing it, it, it could very well have been your first exposure to satire. Right. And, and the way it was written, uh, it just you know you you don't realize it again as a kid, but just just brilliant stuff, you know, brilliant stuff. The way they and you know nothing was off limits when it came to Mad Magazine, and and it just it was, it, it's it's a staple in in America pop culture. Yeah, you would get every issue two or three of those uh, parodies of TV and movies. I remember there was always one at the beginning, one at the end, and they were very, uh, you know, you read a lot. There were a lot of words. Yeah, there were a lot of words. But it was hilarious. Uh, Words. (laughs) The Beavis and Butthead reference, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Um, there was a lot, you know, I mean, there was other stuff in Mad too. There was the, the cartoons. I even loved the stuff that was drawn in the margins, which was another yeah. one of his creations, uh, or one of his high reads, at least. Uh, speaking of, of satire and parody, though, you know, there are certain things going on in pop culture now that I have exposure to because I live with uh, three kids, and not everyone uh, is, is aware of. One of the funniest things that I've seen in the past year uh, on a regular basis, a recurring thing, has been on Sesame Street. Now, anyone who has watched Sesame Street even once as a, an adult 
probably realized there was a lot more going on there than you recalled as a kid. They always put in a lot of stuff for adults. But what they did in the past year was Cookie Monster got a recurring thing where he would do a parody of a movie. And, you know, it would teach something to the kids. But it was under the guise of crumby pictures. And he did such hilarious things, you know, five minutes or so. But uh, he was Secret Agent Double Stuff 7 in The Spy Who Loved Cookies. And... uh, (laughs) You know, in the end, he saw that the Queen's crown was made of cookies and tackled her, basically. But there was some great stuff. He was uh, Captain Snack Sparrow. Uh, the Biscotti Kid, which was uh, was great, one of my favorite movies. Um, the Hungry Games. One of the funniest, this was done really well. They did a Les Mis thing, and he played Jean Bonbon. And <laughs> they did some great songs, some uh, terrific parodies of the songs. So... That was a lot of fun. It's the kind of thing that not everyone gets exposure to. But you know what? Go to PBS.com, YouTube. I guarantee you'll laugh if you check those out. So this is my second recommendation of the night. Billy Joel, Cookie Monster, and Crummy Pictures. Check them out. Yeah, and, and you know, and speaking of that, though, you know, I, I guess you can't really, you know, overstate how much of an influence a guy like Alfred Feldstein had on our society as far as uh, – satire and you just you know you can trace back to mad magazine and probably see uh the roots taking hold for mad magazine and spawning out in all forms of entertainment whether it being uh print or or tv or movies and right. um you know as we move into you know satirical you know now we got a lot of and and mad magazine would hit politics uh but there's a lot of like satirical political shows that uh continue to pop up, and now with a Steve Colbert right. really moving into the mainstream now. Big, big times for, for Steve Colbert. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's uh, taking over for David Letterman. Uh, we've had a, a lot of shakeups in late-night TV. Uh, we discussed what was going on over on NBC. Now CBS is, uh, you know, undergoing the, the same transformation. And uh, it's an interesting choice for a replacement. Um, you know, I've... I've watched The Daily Show, The Colbert Report, much less since I had kids. You know, there's time for only so much, but I like to catch it when I can. And Stephen Colbert, his personality on the show is a satirical personality of this, you know, the uh, right-wing TV pundit. Um, That's who we've seen on The Colbert Report. They are taking not Stephen Colbert, the character, but Stephen Colbert, the actual person (laughs) and putting him in charge of one of the, you know, staples of American late night TV, the 1130 slot on CBS. Do you think that that's a risk? Uh, You know, will people tune in and be surprised at who the real Stephen Colbert is? Do you think that parts of his old persona will seep in? I I think there has to be. I mean, I'd be shocked if if he's a completely different person than the character. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be aspects of it. Um, It's definitely a risk. I mean, it's, you know, he's got a unique voice. To be honest with you, I never really watched him regularly, but whenever I saw him, I found him funny. And I don't know why, like, it's just one of those things where, like, I can't tell you how many times I probably said, I should just sit and watch the, the Colbert Report, but I just, I didn't. I, but I'd see him in interviews, I'd laugh when I'd, I'd see the way he conduct himself, I'd, you know, they'd, they'd play audio from from his shows or, or him, uh, 
you know, being on the Daily Show, and they'll play it on the radio, and they're like, I'll listen to this, and I'd laugh when he, but for some reason, I was like, yeah, but I'm not going to watch the show. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's different. I think there'll be aspects of it. I think it's a, it's a good thing. Well, it's a double-edged sword. It's a good thing, or it could be a very bad thing. It's, they're definitely setting it up where they have brought someone in who is completely different than a Jimmy Fallon. Right. So to compete with, it's, well, if you don't like Jimmy Fallon, there's a definitive alternative. It's not like they're, they're I mean, you, you could say that Leno and Letterman were different, but they, they, they kind of had similar styles to them. You know right. what I mean? Like, if you liked one, I couldn't see really absolutely hating the other. Okay. But, but these two have much different styles. Now, does that come back to bite him in the ass and more people like Jimmy Fallon style so nobody goes to Colbert? Who knows? It's it's a but it's a risk reward kind of thing. I, I think it's an interesting move, but uh, remains to be seen if he's able to find a, an audience. You know, he was paired with John Stewart, and it was an ideal pairing because you had both sides of the political spectrum within that hour. Um, he can't take that that position now because it'll be uh, too. You know, it'll split the audience, so he has to be a little more mainstream. Uh, but yeah, still different from Jimmy Fallon. It's not like whoever they hire at twelve thirty. And I, by the way, if you hadn't heard, Craig Ferguson is leaving his show as well. I don't know if they've made a hire at twelve thirty yet. Um, but it's not like you can rely on someone to balance him out an hour later. It's not like that block that Comedy Central had. So, you know, he will have to be more mainstream. But still, like you said, it'll be very different than Fallon. You know, one of the funniest things he used to do on the show uh, was when he did his his monologue and his little segments, but when he interviewed a guest, I loved that the guest was already seated, and Stephen Colbert would get up from his chair, run over, pumping his fist in the air, congratulating himself to go and meet with the guest every single episode. That was one of the greatest things that he did. I don't think we'll get to see some of the things that he did on his show in the same way that Jimmy Fallon was able to bring elements of his old later show to an earlier time slot. I don't think we'll get to see any of those things because it's just, it was too specific to the character of Stephen Colbert. And the, and the, the thing with Stephen Colbert that I wonder about, there's something about Jimmy Fallon that's eminently likable. Yeah. He just is, is, is a likable dude and he's got a, a unique style. He's got a quirky kind of comedic style, but you know, he's a guy who, could bring on an app and and do a barbershop thing with with Billy Joel, or he's doing a lip sync thing with uh, Emma Stone, or you know he does other. I mean, and he's a guy that is able to mesh into, you know, interviewing different people. Like with someone like Colbert, I mean, I look at Colbert as an intellect. Right. I look at him as a really bright guy. You know, when when he's you know, on the show and, and, you know, Justin Bieber's booked as a guest or, or someone, you know, some some teenage pop star. Like, is he going to be able to morph his style and, and not talk down uh, to, to people that maybe he's not a fan of? You know, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see, you know, like you're saying, the, the real Steve Colbert as opposed to the character Steve Colbert, where his interview style uh, will fall because, you know, like you're saying, politically he's got to play down the middle. But if there's there's a celebrity that is, is very likable, 
and in some way, shape, or form, Colbert comes off as talking down to this person, right. that could kill him. I mean, that's something that could wind up being polarizing really fast. And, you know, you kind of need that likability factor that a Jimmy Fallon has. And Fallon was much different than Leno and is a very likable guy. And I think that's why his, his show, at least I'm, I'm enjoying it, and I, I think the show is working. It would be interesting to see, you know, how Colbert – Fairs in, in in the late night wars, but definitely a very unique choice. Yeah, you know what's funny is David Letterman. He, if you gave him reason to, he would talk down to you when you were his guest. But if you gave him reason, but you know he more recently turned into just kind of the cranky old guy um, type of host, and he earned the right to do what he did. Colbert, you know, he'll have to earn his stripes, and uh, I'd like to see where what type of guest he gets. You know, this is not. It's not Tom Snyder or Charlie Rose. You know, he's, he's got that prime slot at 11.30. So, uh, so let's see where that goes. And by the way, uh, just to uh, fill in the blanks here, Larry Wilmore, who is a correspondent on The Daily Show, is now taking over the Stephen Colbert slot and will be doing uh, his take on things. He, he was, quote, the senior black correspondent on The Daily Show. <laughs> um, he's doing something with that edge at 11.30. So, again, it'll still be something to uh, kind of offset Jon Stewart, but, uh, you know, in a different way than Stephen Colbert did, I'm assuming. And, and as as the shakeups continue in late-night TV and people are leaving and coming and going, just uh, Todd and I are available. So you, you need something late-night, something to fill up, you know, we we could probably be at least as bad as half the people that have gotten shows on TV. So. And, and we'll go on at two thirty. Well, we fine. will. Yeah, we're, we're willing to go on whatever time uh, you want. But uh, you know, as and again, as I was talking about Steve Colbert and like guests and and you know where how he talks and and you know obviously as as and this is what we call a segue. Um, but we, you know he's going to have to talk a lot about superheroes. It just remains to be seen. <laughs> Hell of a segue, Ken. Isn't that nice? You see what I did there? But he's going to have to take the subject matter seriously. Yeah. And, and as we, like, rockily segue into this, our, our next talking point, uh, it's interesting that, you know, maybe not as far as the, the writings, uh, you know, I don't follow comic books as, as religiously as I used to. Every so often I pull out, you know, I'll grab a, a graphic novel or I'll, I'll follow a series uh, you know, a lot of times they're hit or miss, so I'm not going to say it's the golden age of comics, but I definitely think we're in the golden age of of comic book movies, if not the golden age of live action or, or, or media-driven, you know, because TV is, is following suit now, and, and, and you have comic book stuff just popping up everywhere. And just to let you guys know, we're not going to dissect fully, but, you know, Captain America just come out. Right. Uh, we have X-Men Days of Future Past coming out, and the summer movie season is, is getting underway. And you guys want to tune in this Sunday uh, at 7.30, right? 7 o'clock. 7, 7 o'clock. I, I get confused. 7 o'clock, we're going to give you our take on the, the upcoming summer movie season. That's, again, this Sunday at 7 o'clock. Jump on your computers. We're going to be talking... Summer movies for 90 minutes, so definitely tune in on, on Sunday. Uh, but getting back to, like, you know, comic book stuff, I mean, it, it's pretty incredible what's going on right now as far as comic book TV shows, comic book movies. Um, we got a lot of movies coming out. 
Um, and, and one of the things that was interesting today yep. revealed the new bat suit and Batmobile. Uh, you kind of you can't really see as much of the Batmobile as you can see the bat suit. Um, as much as to me, I'm still not happy about Ben Affleck. I thought the suit looked kind of cool. Yes. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, and, and that, and I'd, I'd like to get your take on the suit, but as Batman, you know, it's kind of exploding right now, the new Batsuit, the new Batmobile, and we have seen the first trailers for the new TV series, Gotham, which looks phenomenal to me. I mean, I couldn't have asked for more from the trailer. Uh, that got me pretty excited. So right there, one of the most iconic comic book heroes out there, we're getting a lot right now, and we're going to get to see the backstory behind everything that happened in Gotham before Batman even existed. Yeah, that looked very cool, and, and just you know, I thought that the bat suit looked good. I never doubted that Affleck would look good in the bat suit. I don't know how he'll be as a Bruce Wayne. I don't know how he'll act as a Batman, but I thought he'd at least have the jawline, the look to be Batman. And I like the look of this suit. Um, the Batmobile itself, though. Looked cool to me. It looked like a uh, kind of a cross between um, the Batmobiles that we saw in the uh, original, not original, the '89 movie with Nicholson and Keaton, the uh, the ones in the '90s, and what we saw Christian Bale driving. The Christian Bale Batmobiles were not really the Batmobile to me. Uh, they they looked like something else entirely. This one looks more like that sleek lines, you know, the, the, the fins and the – it looks like the Batmobile uh, as I remember it, and I, I enjoyed seeing that. I totally agree with you. Like, it's funny. I actually said that. We were talking about it at work, um, and, I, you know, I said that, that that's, they took, like, the best of both worlds. Right. Because the thing is also in that the old series, uh, the, the 89 through whatever year when Joel Schumacher completely effed it up. Yeah. Um, the Batmobile got ridiculous. I mean, by the end, the Batmobile had a fin that looked like it was a hundred feet in the air. There was, <laughs> it just looked like there was, there was, it just got so far away from being functional and just was so stylized. Um, I, I liked the first Batmobile, the first Michael Keaton movie. I thought it was cool looking. It was, it was sleek. It was Batmobile looking, but it was efficient looking as well. Right. Um, you know that the the newer Batmobile was more from Dark Knight Returns. There was a there was a all terrain, you know, vibe to it, um, which I I really liked. But you're right. I, I the first thing I thought of when I saw that picture was wow, they kind of combined the two, um, and, and it looked neat. I, I mean, I, I'm trying to be optimistic. It's tough. I keep going back to when they cast Heath Ledger. I hated the casting. I despised the casting, and he was amazing as the Joker. So I'm. I'm holding on to that, but I'm hoping, all right, I hate the casting of Ben Affleck, but maybe he'll, he'll be good. It's great how, how what you perceived as bad casting in the past, and not just Heath Ledger, but I'm sure a couple of the other ones as well, can give you hope that someone else yeah. you think really bad <laughs> might be good, because it's happened before. But you know, I think a lot of people are, are hoping beyond hope that that's the case. Certainly, we're not going to see the Batmobile in the, the Gotham show, um, we're, we will see the evolution of some of the uh, the more well-known villains, uh, some of the lesser-known people. I don't know if they're all directly from the comics or not. Um, as well as you know, who the focus seems to be is Commissioner Gordon and little Bruce Wayne as well. I did notice, and I, I noted noted this uh, omission in the past, but the trailer I saw. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
mentions a lot of the villains we know, but not the Joker. Yeah, I think they're going to they're gonna hold off on that right. for, for a while and then see, uh, you know, that, that'll be, maybe that sweeps week, we'll see, like, uh, so, but I, I, it's so intriguing, and, and you know, it's funny, because there are characters that aren't from the comic books that they, they've added to the show, and I'm okay with that. Right. I've gotten, you know, I'm a comic book fan, I've been for quite some time, and, and there was a time where, like, you know, I'd see a comic book movie and they'd change something, and I'd be like, oh, God, how can you do that? Come on, it's such, but... Man, they, they rewrite things in the comics. You know, they'll, yeah. they'll change someone's origin out of nowhere. Hell, the Incredible Hulk was gray. Then he was green. Uh, so if the comic books can change things, you know, other mediums can, can change uh, things as well. You know, as long as they stay true to the character. The one thing that I really liked when I saw the trailer of Gotham and how they were treating the material, number one, it looked like it was being treated seriously. Um, and number two... Where I think they're going in a good direction where Smallville, like a similar type show, completely lost its direction is, you know, you kind of were, were watching Superman. And it kind of got frustrating at times, like, why is he not flying? Or why is he not doing, you know, when is he going to actually right. put the goddamn suit on? I mean, he's got all the, whereas it take, Gotham takes that completely out of the equation. Yeah. He's a kid. He's a kid going through the death of his parents. I mean, when, it, when Gotham starts off, I mean, a very, very young Bruce Wayne, if the show is successful, I mean, they're not obligated to, to have, like, a, a quote-unquote Batman show up, like, until 10 years down the road apiece. Right. So that means the show is incredibly successful. And if, I mean, I hope the show is great. I hope it, 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 it stays true to the material. And in all honesty, I hope it has a, a tremendous run and the series, the series finale, years down the road, is Gordon and Batman meeting for the first time on the top of a roof, and that's it. We end right there, and they don't even go into Batman at all. We just totally see everything else that happened before Bruce Wayne decided to be Batman. Fox execs, if you're listening, <laughs> Ken has just ended the show for you 10, 12 years in the future. I think it's an outstanding idea, so take note. You know the last scene right now, but we don't know what's going to happen in the 10 years exactly. in between. Uh, but I think that's a great idea. I could, I could see it in my head already. Uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about um, comics on TV, but you mentioned something about how in the comic book world things can change. And that brings up something that it's another story, and it's comics uh, only. It's not a, it's not an adaptation, but it's in the comics. And the story itself kind of disturbed me just because of how much I know things change. You are a little bit more uh, involved in the comic book world itself, not just the adaptations, even though it might not be to the degree you were at one point. I'm referring to the story recently that Marvel Comics is going to be killing off Wolverine in a few months. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. That, that might be one of the biggest stories to come out of comic book world. And it, and it is amazing because, you know, it's a story that in the comic book world would probably be dominating things. But like I said, we're, we're in kind of a golden era of, of comic books. And, and, you know, there's so many people out there. I mean, Arrow is so successful. Uh, uh, there, there's S.H.I.E.L.D. On, on television. There's, you know, Gotham coming up. Uh, the movies, the Batsuit. I mean, there's so many things that are taking people's attention so I do feel on some levels that the death of Wolverine uh, has kind of gotten lost in the shuffle. But, yeah, I mean, the, the, 
the stories we're hearing right now is, is Wolverine is going to lose his healing ability, and at, at some point uh, it's going to lead to his death. Now, it's comic books, and, you know, heroes have died before, and some way, shape, or form they get resurrected. So I, I, I highly doubt it will be the last time we see Wolverine. What I found intriguing about this is I had read some stories that years ago, before the first Wolverine movie came out, that Marvel rushed to do a Wolverine Origins because they wanted to make sure that the, the definitive origin story came out in the comic books okay. before it was addressed in the movies. And what I've, I found intriguing, and this is just me purely speculating, when you got a guy like Hugh Jackman, who, is, who has played Wolverine, and now he's going to be in, in X-Men Days of Futures Past, uh, there's talk of another Wolverine standalone movie, as well as another sequel to this X-Men movie. Uh, I, I think when I started counting it up, counting the movies that would come out, he's going to wind up playing the character upwards of nine films. Well, I mean, that's really uh, and, defining that character. Yes, and, and that's something that's unheard of. We, we actually, we, uh, I was talking with a group here, we were trying to figure out like actors that have played one character for that many movies, and it was really difficult to come up with anybody who had played, like, the same character right. for that many movies. And, uh, you know, we were, like, trying to think, well, when the Star Wars movies comes out, is Anthony Daniels, like, and, she, and Peter Mayhew, well, not Peter Mayhew, but Anthony Daniels and Kenny Baker, because right. they were in the other six. Uh, maybe Sean Connery is Bond. I don't know how many he I did. don't think he made that many. That many. So it, it's definitely Hugh Jackman's in, in rarefied air. Yeah. Now, for someone who is so identified with that character... Could we, and again, this is my brain going purely speculation, but are we looking at perhaps a Death of Wolverine movie and Marvel wanted to get out there and make sure that they put out a Death of Wolverine story before the movie comes out? Again, you have the extra movie coming out now. Supposedly they're going to do another sequel coming out of this movie and another Wolverine standalone movie. You know, when that Wolverine standalone movie comes out, could we be looking at a death of Wolverine? I I think I see where you're going. I see your point. Um, and I don't know. You know, and, and if the comics come first, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that the movie has to do the story the way the comic books have done the story. It just means that the comic books have set the standard first. This is what the, the actual the, the canonical story is. Whether a movie does it the same way or or not, I don't know. And you know, my my uh, other take on this is maybe the reason that the story has not gotten the attention that so much else in the comic book world has uh, on TV and the movies and in the the pages themselves is because we know that superheroes get resurrected. Um, I don't know how often this happened before the the big Death of Superman storyline all those years ago. But, you know, obviously he came back. I think that probably the true comic book fans knew that he would come back. Um, I, would, I would be surprised if this is the last you see of Wolverine and therefore announcing, well, here's our big story, Wolverine's going to die, is not really such a big story after all. It's just, it's a story we're going to tell. It's a big and interesting story. But it's not like this is the end of the character. It's one of those things, I, I, it's, a, it's a really good point you bring up. It's really where they go from that point on. Uh, you know, the death of Superman, uh, the story in and of itself 
was okay. It wasn't great. Uh, it was okay. But that was actually the beginning of the end of me following comic books regularly because I got so annoyed where coming out of that, uh, they created four supermen, three of which were being speculated that could be the resurrected Superman. And, and then the four of them got four separate titles. So to follow the aftermath of the death of Superman, you had to buy the four titles. And then Superman like came back fairly quickly. And when I, I remember reading an article when they said they were going to kill Superman. And, and one of the, the writers at DC said, we really want to explore what the world without a Superman would be like. And they really didn't do that. And it just it wound up being a, a colossal waste of time. And it, it just... just Almost like a cheap way to sell comic books. We'll kill off Superman. Everyone will be like, oh, my God, the death of Superman. And then we'll bring him back real quickly, and we'll just keep going the way we're going. So right. I think you're right. I, this will wind up being a significant story perhaps after the fact. Okay. If, we're, if we're in January 2015 and Wolverine's still dead, you know, and, and they gave us a, a few, like, solid months of, of Wolverine not being around anymore and the X-Men having to deal without having Wolverine and emotionally how they're getting past Wolverine being gone, then, then, it's, then it's cool, then it's iconic. If we see Wolverine resurrected a month after they kill him off, then it's, it's like, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a smash and grab publicity gimmick. Uh, the other thing also, you know, when you come to Wolverine, and maybe this is another reason it's overlooked, you know, the X-Men have kind of found themselves a little bit separate from this universe, this multimedia universe that Marvel has been created, which has really been centered around the Avengers. Right. And, you know, interestingly enough, you have the movie, the Avengers movies, you have Captain America uh, that was out this year, um, and they've, they've gone into television, and they have brought us the shield, which... To me, it's been spotty at best. It's been hit or miss. Some really good episodes, some eh. But as we go into next season, The Shield has been renewed for another year. Very happy to see that The Shield is coming back. I, uh, I agree that early on, uh, episode to episode, you never knew what you were going to get. I've really enjoyed the last couple of months. Um, you know, they've, uh, they've blown up the shield organization uh, i'm assuming that you know those of you who know and i've just heard the name but you know hydra has reared its head or heads as the case may be um and we have trouble now within the shield organization if i'm not mistaken the season finale may have just aired tonight um and I, i'm looking forward to seeing where uh where they end up but at least it's not the end that has been picked up. Uh, you know, we have a lot of information, a lot of news uh, about shows that have been canceled, have been renewed. Uh, the networks are having their upfront, uh, their their meetings this week, uh, their presentations at the upfronts about what their schedules are going to be. So we even have uh, the schedules for next fall, tentatively for ABC, Fox, and NBC, as well as a, a full list of what shows have been canceled and what shows are coming back. Uh, so like I said, I'm very happy to see Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. returning because it was one of those shows on the bubble. We didn't know where it would go. Um, Revolution, which is a show that Ken and I have both watched. I've kept up more, but we both have a backlog on our DVRs at this point. That is out, and I'm now making the decision whether to finish the season or not. <laughs> uh, but that's one of the shows that I'm certainly uh, – 
going to and I don't want to say the word miss. It's a show I watched regularly that is canceled. Luckily, I didn't have too many of those. Uh, Community is another one, but I felt like that one had a lucky second like this season. But on the networks, at least, I did pretty well. Revolution and Community are the two shows, two NBC shows, that uh, I watch regularly that will not be back. How did you do, Ken? Um, I, I lost a couple. I mean, I, I'm you know, with The Shield, I'm kind of hoping that it, it, they – it gets better. I, you know, it's funny. I, there were, like I said, I, I mean, I think it's, it's moving in a good direction, but I, I do wonder, you know, can this show succeed for years? Um, but I'm glad it's coming back. Uh, I lost Rake, which was very disappointing. I thought that was a really, really good mid-season replacement. Uh, Greg Kinnear was awesome. Uh, I lost The Crazy Ones, uh, which is another show. That, Rake and The Crazy Ones were two shows that, I really was disappointed only because I thought it needed like that second season to really get its legs under him. I think I thought both shows were moving in, in really good direction. Uh, to me, the crazy ones evolved from a Robin Williams vehicle to an ensemble uh, cast. The cast was very entertaining. Uh, for whatever reason, CBS really didn't market Brad Garrett being on the show and he was great. And maybe for Robin Williams haters, that would have helped, like showing, hey, Brad Garrett's got a big part on the show. Uh, they brought on Pam Dauber as a guest star for one episode, which is awesome to see the reuniting of Mork and Mindy. Um, so it was disappointing. I, you know, I decided not to. The minute Revolution was canceled, I, I deleted the, the backlog on my DVR. I was, it was getting tedious for me. So I, I was like, you know what? It's, it's, uh, GA. It's just, I, I, I decided it wasn't it wasn't uh, for me anymore, and I, I just I didn't see myself sitting through all of them. And God forbid there was like a cliffhanger. I was like, you know what? I'm not putting myself through it. I'm hoping that they had that inkling well enough in advance that we don't get a cliffhanger. If I continue to watch the shows, um, just the power goes back on, and, and everyone's fine. That's okay. it. Government's yeah. back. Power's back on. <laughs> Ding. Uh, you know, with the crazy ones, I put that in a category with a couple of other shows, uh, a couple of NBC sitcoms. Also not returning are the Michael J. Fox show and Sean Saves the World. Now, differing levels of sitcom star, but certainly three major previous sitcom stars. Um, and none of them are coming back. So, you know, if anyone has uh, any thoughts on their favorite shows being canceled, being renewed, please call in. Let us know what you think about the uh, upcoming TV season, the uh, announcements being made. Call us, uh, 347-838-9815 is the number. And, uh, Ken, do we have someone on the line? We do, and it's funny. Before I get to uh, we have Pat on the line, but before we get to him, uh, I forgot. I watched Michael J. Fox show, too, so I, I lost that one, too, which was enjoyable but not great. You know, it was just... I you know it's Michael J. Fox. I just, right. I, I, just I, I like MJF. I, I MJF. <laughs> uh, I gave MJF an episode and I just found it not funny. It might have been a decent half hour of of story, but I didn't think it was that funny. Yeah, I, I, you're right. I just I, I found like I just enjoyed them, but I didn't. I, right. I never really laughed. Uh, let's go out to the phones. We got Pat on the line. Hey Pat, what's going on? Hey, guys, how are you doing tonight? I'm really loving the show. I love comic book talk. It's always enjoyable. I'm still a collector of comics, and uh, I love that we live in an era where Hollywood loves making comic book movies because uh, it only benefits all of us. But uh, one of the things that you said, Ken, about Gotham, 
I'm really looking forward to that show. And I'm with you. I like the ending years later to be where he and Gordon meet on the rooftop for the first time. But what I really want to get out of Gotham is I always consider Bruce Wayne and therefore Batman to be just as legitimately, in a way, criminally insane as all the criminals he deals with, except his moral compass tends to be on the side of most of society. And that's why Batman, in, in, in the end, is sort of the good guy, because he's, in a way, just as insane uh, as the Joker or anybody, the case will be made, in my view. So I'm thinking when we watch Gotham, you know, it's got to start off where Bruce Wayne is tortured and wants revenge and angry and bitter. So I think this is a story-building show about where he develops the moral compass. And I'm looking forward to that. What do you guys think about that? It's it's a good point. I mean, you being a comic book guy, did, did you have you read The Killing Joke? I have. I haven't. I have to reread it. I haven't read it in a long time. But I, I've read so much Batman left and right. Um, yeah. I like, like you know me from wrestling. I I love comics. I never. I'm not a I'm not a detailed guy. I remember every single arc or storyline. But I have read that before. Killing Joke, though. It, it, I mean, that that book is so artistic and. A lot of the frames in that actually don't have any dialogue. So if you pick it up again, it'll probably take you all of 10 minutes to get through the whole graphic novel. But you bring up a really interesting point because I bring up that comic book because that comic book to me was the definitive uh, graphic novel that really showed Batman being like exactly what you said, just as insane as... as all the criminals, he just happens to be on, on the side of, of law. Um, and, and that comic book really showed the similarities between Batman and the Joker. It's a very intriguing uh, character study on the two of them. And that comic book was the first um, explanation on the Joker's origins. Uh, so it would be interesting to see if, if Gotham follows suit with with the killing joke or if they go in in a, in a different direction um you know much different than nicholson's joke or very different uh, origin but right. i encourage you to revisit that but I, I agree with you i i would love to see a a young bruce wayne conflicted uh you know with where he needs to go in in his life i mean i think there's so many directions you can go with this i would love if the see if the show is successful you know, to see at, at some point an, an older Bruce Wayne gone. You know, when he travels about the world, you know, you could go a season, half a season with Bruce Wayne not even being on the show and continue to explore uh, Gordon and how Gordon is right. responding to, to uh, Gotham. There's so many creative directions the show could go in, and I was very encouraged with what the trailer looked like. Yeah, I was too, and like for me... I know this might be a stretch for some, but I always, it's great because the moral compass of Batman, in a way, is not far off from the Punisher, where Punisher, he goes past the moral compass by justifying, by killing everybody left and right because they may be bad, where Batman stops at that notion. So there's something there that's in him that, that keeps him to where he can put his foot on the pedal and, uh, and not struggle with not killing some of these uh, these guys, especially what he went through for with his parents. So the show has so much potential that uh, it's, it got me into it. Um, you know, I, uh, some of the movies I saw this uh, summer, I saw Spider-Man, I saw Captain America, 
I really enjoyed both of them. Um, the one thing I, I made to the lady in here, and I wondered what you guys both thought of it, was um, generally I like conflict movies. Like you said, I, I'm never a guy that ever saw a movie like the, use Daredevil as the best example. I really liked Daredevil, where most people hated it. Um, because I, I'm cool with some story changes, modernization, because comics always are like that. But the one thing coming out very soon that I never like when they change, and I think it looks back the way it was, is the new Godzilla. And I know they launched the, the comics again with him and all that. I wonder what you guys thought of what you've seen so far of what's coming up in Godzilla. Um, it looks like he's going back to the original look of him and things like that. I'm really excited for that, and I hope that takes off. And, uh, and you know, all the merchandising and stuff comes back from it. What do you guys think of Godzilla? I've enjoyed the trailer. I think that the, the character looks like a beast. Godzilla looks, you know, although I think word came out in the last couple of days that uh, the Japanese have complained that he looks fat because he's really? American. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> that's hilarious. Well, maybe, uh, yeah. Well, that's why he's fat. He's got to, you know, shed off a few pounds or something. That's hilarious. He looks fat from the trailer. Yeah, he's just misunderstood. He's just trying to get a workout. You know, a couple of buildings, a couple of cities are in the way, so be it. What do you think, Ken? I, what, I, what I like, and I think we've seen this across the board uh, with comic book movies, with, uh, and even going back, when, you know, I, I almost look to see, uh, you know, it started with the X-Men with casting guys like Patrick Stewart, uh, you know, in, in a pivotal role. I, I, to me, what changed with these movies is they, they went and took the subject matter seriously. And, and they started casting good actors, and they started trying yeah. to write stories and just make not necessarily a good comic book movie, but a good movie that happens to be based on a comic book. You know, And the best example to me was the last Batman trilogy with uh, uh, Christian Bale. What, what struck me with the Godzilla was the same thing. It looked like they were taking the subject matter seriously. Some of the scenes you saw with Bryan Cranston – was it, it is very dire. It is it is being looked at very much like as as unrealistic as this is, but in a very serious way. What would happen if this actually happened to our society? When you see uh, you know a soldier saying goodbye to his wife, they they just they're taking a, an absolute over the top fictional can never happen type subject matter, and and they're kind of giving it a, a serious take. On top of that, I love the way Godzilla looked yeah. as, as a Godzilla fan. I mean, I, I, you know, there have been good ones, there have been bad ones, but I've always enjoyed uh, Godzilla movies. And it's gotten me excited as a kid. There was one trailer I watched where I'm watching. I was like, oh, there's a new Godzilla trailer. Let me check it out. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching. I'm like, that's Rodan. That's Rodan. Did that Rodan? Yeah, Rodan. Yeah. Rodan just flew by. Rodan is in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> got me like really pumped so i i'm i'm hoping that the movie delivers on the trailer but the trailer has gotten me really excited yeah and i'll throw one more your way now that you guys go like i said i'm really enjoying this um i love when you do this show ken uh, you guys are really good together um wolverine the death of wolverine i'm looking forward to that as well because i find it's so compelling just uh the fall of him the death of him so to say how the story told, how it ends, and you know how comics, we always can come back if we need to down the road or go into a different year, but I, I'm very excited for that. I'm a big Wolverine guy, and um, 
the last Wolverine movie that came out, most movies, like especially the Spider-Man that just, I just saw in Captain America, you look at it knowing there's usually a trilogy involved in it. The last Wolverine movie, to me, felt like I went to a comic store and just bought a book, you know, uh, the next Wolverine issue is out, and it was a one-story tell, and then next month his next issue will be out. That movie felt like a one-story tell to me. Uh, the last Wolverine where he's in Japan and uh, meeting up with the guy years later, that they, not many comic book movies now are told that way. It's mostly told where you know you're getting a set of three. So I really loved that. And um thought it was a great movie. And uh, where they go through the X-Men and stuff with Wolverine now, uh, if they do explore the death of him, I think that would be great. I think it's compelling. And uh, it's, it's always good to see the mighty fall in the comic book series. And uh, it's dramatic. Usually uh, puts over somebody else that will rise and get a nice rub from it as well, so to say. But uh, I'm a big fan of that. I look forward to, to that as well. I'm excited about that. So I'm curious, you know, before we let you go, because I, I have vowed that I have to go back and kind of catch up and binge watch this series because it didn't grab me initially. But when we're talking about comic book stuff out there, I know – you're a big fan of, of Arrow. Uh, you you know, know, I lost my way with Arrow, and, and the reason why was I've been reading Arrow since uh, Green Arrow and Flash Green Lantern since I was six. That was like one of the first issues. I'm 41 now, and I love Green Arrow. I, I started watching it. A lot of guys we know and saw and such are all big fans of Arrow, but I can't get around Arrow as being like meant for – for guys, but also they want the 13 to 18 year old girl, and all the subsidies, uh, some little things that come from that channel, that network, the market they're trying to reach. They make sure it's in there with the love stories going on and on, the equated love and all that. I just never, I try and try and I couldn't latch on the arrow. Everybody loves it. I don't know what I'm missing except for the fact Oliver Queen. By the time I started reading him all these years. It's so gruff and out there and a tough guy that him coming from a whiny, rich background which, uh, and living through it, I can't live through it because I'm just not relating to the character of who I learned in the comic book. You guys like Arrow? No, it's interesting. It didn't, you know, I, I guess I was mistaken. I thought you were a fan. I'm, it never grabbed me. I, I wanted to. I gave it a chance early on. It just it, it, it really didn't didn't get me and then I just I decided all right you know let me I just stopped and then so many people I know became fans like yeah, maybe I should give it an attempt and, and watch like season one and season two Todd do you watch Arrow no I you know I don't watch Arrow and I think because I do enjoy superhero uh, television shows so much I think I just have developed a CW bias I think that, that yeah, may- that's, a, that's a great point yeah I haven't started it. I didn't watch Supernatural, which is coming back. Um, the Vampire Diaries and the spin-off, the originals, which are coming back. Arrow, which is coming back, which are all shows that I might otherwise have given a shot. And I think that I just have this uh, subconscious bias against the network. You know, I don't think you're wrong for having that because if this makes sense, I feel Arrow is 90210 Arrow, if that okay. makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, it's so much drama. You know, a typical, let's stretch out the love story forever and 
they love each other, but they can't say it type thing. You know, like you would see on the friend on friends. You know what I mean? Like we all know you love each other. We all know you can't kind of be with each other, but you want to be, and, and you're mad at each other. You have it, it has that element to it where I just that's not Oliver Queen to me. This Oliver Queen I don't like. Um, and it was very hard to like that show, but I think you hit the nail on the head. So they generally don't like superhero shows from CW, which is why Fox and Gotham I can't wait to see. But I think it, I think they'll do a better job with it. But your bias is correct, and uh, you know I never liked Smallville. I don't know why. It's just like um, trying to appeal to to the girls that are you know twelve to to eighteen, as well as grabbing that guy audience on the CW. I think it really takes away from the comics that I read all my life. Yeah, it's just the, the other shows that they've had on the air, uh, you know, really, it's not like there's bias coming from, from nowhere. It's what their uh, general programming has been, although they always have had these uh, other maybe shows aimed at a different audience sprinkled in there, uh, and I just haven't picked up on them. Yeah, and you can tell by the commercials sometimes. They have, like, you know, the Reveline eyeliner commercials mixed in with the typical stuff on that network, and I just think the show reflects that. I think I think, I'll, I think Arrow's too pretty, if that makes sense. It makes perfect the whole, sense. The whole idea of it, you know what I mean? I'm sitting here talking. I'm, I'm figuring out this is why I didn't like Arrow. I didn't realize it, like, because I'm thinking I, I should like this. It's a comic book show. You know, it looked interesting, and... It just wasn't resonating, and as we're throwing around ideas here, I'm like, yeah, this is this is probably why. And, and you, I think you hit the nail on the head, Pat. Like it's it's nine hundred two one arrow. Yeah, and I don't. I think you. I think this is a show that for that channel, probably the most hard hitting. So if you didn't grow up an Arrow fan, you're probably gonna like it because it stands out as a little darker compared to everything else they had. But um, like. I don't know if you guys have read. If you haven't, it's a great read. The Kevin Smith written Green Arrows that came out about three years, four years ago for the Return of Green Arrow uh, storyline. It was so dark and fantastic, coming from uh, uh, you know the death storyline from the Justice League uh, space station that had to deal with the Green Lantern turn and everything. And knowing Oliver Queen and his relationship with Green Lantern all these years, and sort of his. Uh, Rivalry and sort of hatred of Batman and favoring sort of uh, Superman side in that team. You knew Oliver Queen enough from all these years that when you explore his young adulthood, uh, he comes off as such a spoiled pretty boy that when he's tough, you don't buy it. So that was it for me. Uh, and I tried and tried. And it disappoints me that I don't like it. But um, if you haven't read the Kevin Smith's uh, Green Arrows, and you and you like Arrow, man. You haven't seen anything if, until you read that. That's something you should go see. I have to go out and check that out, Pat. Thanks for the call. And uh, you know, if you're around, give us a buzz on Sunday when we do our summer movie show. And uh, yeah, we we, we got to we're going to add more comic book talk to to the show. We definitely got to have you call back in. Thanks a lot for supporting us. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. Pop life, I love it. Have a good time, guys. Good evening. Thanks for calling. You know, it's. Uh, I'm looking at some of these canceled shows, some of these renewed shows, and this this whole CW thing I mentioned. I think really uh, epitomizing the whole thing is that uh, the Carrie Diaries was on the CW. Now that's canceled; that is not coming back. But that's the kind of show that exemplified uh, 
this this bias that I'm just now really realizing. Exactly. I'm having this like real – you know, and Pat brought up – I was never an Arrow fan. I didn't read Green Arrow. But you know what? I had this – when I think of Green Arrow, one of the most vivid memories I have is in Dark Knight Returns, uh, Green Arrow works with Batman when Batman fights Superman in the climactic scene at the end of the comic book. And Green Arrow, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly why, but he, he had a severed arm. He only had one arm, but still using his mouth and, and his bow and arrow shoots a kryptonite arrow at Superman, weakening him so Batman could kick the hell out of him. And he's just this gruff, surly old man that's just like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll F up Superman. And it's just kind of like, you know, maybe subconsciously in my head, seeing this, this pretty boy just wasn't resonating right. with the, this image I had in my subconscious of who Green Arrow is. And it's a shame because I do think if you put out quality, it, it's almost an insult to women. It, it's, it's, you know, if you put out quality entertainment, you know, there are, I hate to tell you, CW, there are like bright women out there that'll like something just because it's good. Right. But I feel like let's, and, and he's right. You know, I, I remember watching the first episode and they made it a point to show a, uh, you know, Oliver Queen, work his workout. And they kept having these close-ups on his sweaty abs. And I was just like, all right, he's in tremendous shape, but, I, yeah, I get it, I, get yeah, it right. you know, and, and it's now, again, I'm glad, I'm glad we had this talk because now I know why I didn't like Arrow. Right. Well, let me, let me throw another couple of uh, names out at you since we were talking about uh, the upfronts and uh, shows that are returning, not returning. Um I'm surprised that Two and a Half Men is coming back for another season. I, I can't believe I know it's popular, but with the old turnover, I'm surprised that one is coming back. Uh, on the flip side, I'm very happy that uh, The Mindy Project is coming back. That is a show that was on the bubble that uh, didn't have the audience, especially after it returned after a hiatus, but I think is one of the funniest shows on TV. Uh, real ensemble. Uh, everybody is funny, but not in a, you know, hey, look, we're funny way. They're just great characters, great writing. Um, I, I'm surprised, I think, at this point that American Idol is returning. Uh, I think they might want to let that one die already, which uh, they are doing with The X Factor. Uh, also not coming back, The Neighbors, which I watched one episode of and said, this is not going to last. And Well, it made it two seasons. That's great. Which is too bad. I actually, uh, someone I know was the creator of that show, and I wanted to give it a shot. Um, hey, America's Funniest Home Videos is still on the air. I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> when, part, when is it on? I think it's still Sundays, right? Like the uh, 7 o'clock slot on Sunday, I think. Um, anyway, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, a favorite of us here at Pop Life, is returning but in a very interesting time slot. Like I said, the Mindy Project is returning. So is New Girl, which, uh, you know, that one I'm, I'm a little bit surprised about is making it to another season. The other sitcom from that night on Fox is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, no longer uh, a midweek show. It is coming back to Sunday nights. And as most of you would know, that is Animation Night on Fox. And what they have, at least at this point, is The Simpsons at 8, Brooklyn 9-9, and then Family Guy at 9 o'clock. I don't know how that is going to fit into that slot, how it'll do. Uh, this is a show that not only was hilarious, but actually had some success winning Golden Globes. Uh, your thoughts, Ken? It is weird uh, seeing a show that, that won awards to, to get 
bumped out of its time slot moving elsewhere. I think we can predict that there's going to be a very special animated episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine at some point next season, if this is, uh, uh, in fact, where it'll stay the whole season. I, You know, it's it, it's weird. I, I mean, it's a weird spot to put it in. Um, you know, to me, it's never a good sign when a show is, is getting moved. Right. Um, you know, I, I it, it's it's I mean it's up in the air. I, it's very difficult for me to predict. It could be something that because it's Sunday night uh, that they play out strong and they solidly win their time slot with a, even though they're animated with a solid lead in and show after and they have they've garnered a certain. Uh, following that they just win their time slot on Sunday night. And there must be the research there that says the audience for The Simpsons and Family Guy is similar to that of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I'm sure they did their homework. And it's a move to Sunday. It's not... It, the, the Neighbors was moved to Friday this season. And so you didn't expect yeah. it was going to last another one. Sunday is a good place to be, but Sunday on Fox, it's just... It's set with what it is. Kind of like... NBC and its Thursday night comedy lineup, which, by the way, is being given the, the death knell this coming season. Uh, Parks and Recreation is returning, but I guess we'll be in a different time slot when it comes back. Uh, like I said, Community is done, and The Office has ended, and they are actually making an interesting move by bringing two new sitcoms into, that, uh, into 9 o'clock on Thursdays in between The Biggest Loser and Parenthood. But then they are moving the blacklist, not just moving it for the season, but for half of its season. The blacklist, which is a show we also both love, uh, is returning on Mondays, and it'll take a break in November and then come back to Thursdays in uh, in the winter, in February. I don't know if that is just a bad idea and, and a drop in audience waiting to happen. It's weird because again, a successful show that they brought back. Like why? And you're planning on moving. You're not looking at it now and saying, you know, well, let's see how the ratings go, and then if we have to move it around mid-season. I mean, they're just they're planning right now, regardless of what goes on. Um, it's it's being moved, and it's it's interesting when you look at that because I mean, you talk about Thursday night comedies. I mean, for for us, you know, it seems like NBC. Forever, I mean, I'd go back and, and you know, interesting going back. I mean, I just watched, I love Netflix streaming and all the stuff that's out there right now, but I just watched uh, the classic episode, A My Name is Alex from Family Ties. And if you haven't seen that episode, it's entitled A My Name is Alex. Go watch it. It's a two-parter. It's amazing. But it, it, and it still holds up, which made me very happy because I still am scarred from watching The Outsiders as an adult. But I digress. <laughs> um, but going back, we had, you know, Cosby Show and Family Ties and, and Cheers, you know, Cheers uh, Night Court, right. uh, Seinfeld, Friends, uh, you know, later on The Office. I mean, it was just, you, you can go back. I mean, I'm, I'm missing a bunch, but it was like Thursday night was the night for comedy on NBC. You could, you, you know, you just, and it was amazing to watch how it evolved, how, you know, they they had, it probably would, would look at starting it with the Cosby Show and like right. the Cosby Show and they put something next to the Cosby show to help uh, sell that show. And then as time would go on, it's like, and, you know, Cheers was strong. And let's Cheers. put something next to Cheers. Right. To, and, and it just, that was like, they just kept rotating. Like, whoever was the strong one, you know, let's put, like, the new show next to the strong one. And let, let's get that show off the ground. And it was just, 
Thursday night comedies was a staple on NBC. It's kind of a, it's kind of sad to to see that you know that's coming to an end. Yeah, when they said must see TV, they you know that really meant something. Uh, everybody was watching, and uh, like you said, you know there were there were failures. The eight o'clock and nine o'clock shows were always the superstars, and what came in between, you know, there were some certainly some forgettable ones, some shows that I liked that didn't make it, but. Uh, you know the shows that you mentioned, the the ones in the '80s, uh, really brought comedy back. Not just for NBC, but we're talking about Cheers, The Cosby Show. Um, they brought comedy back from you know the the brink of death on television. Then you got into where comedy was popular, and NBC revolutionized it again with Friends. I mean, first Seinfeld. Seinfeld was not workplace based, and it was not family based. It was just a bunch of people hanging out. Friends took it and, and, you know, aged them down a little bit, and that really uh, revolutionized the sitcom. Um, and then, you know, they, they lost their audience, but they maintained their, their critical accolades with shows like The Office and Parks and Recreation. Um, and it's, it's sad, it's surprising uh, in, in some ways, but not in others because they have not had the audience and... Uh, I know networks try to program a, a comedy block, but usually it's an hour. It's not an entire night of television anymore. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's a shame. But I, you know, I think you're looking at it NBC, but you're also looking at it across the board. And uh, you know, growing up as kids, like we, you know, there's a ton of sitcoms everywhere. Right. Um, you know, not that it's going to be completely gone, but we've looked over the past few years at, at the, the demise of, of the sitcom. Yeah, you know, looking at what's on the schedule for the fall. And again, this is a partial schedule I'm looking at, ABC, Fox, and NBC. But I see a couple of uh, blocks. You know, without knowing what these new shows are, you can pretty much assume if you're looking at two half hours in a row, that's that's your uh, network's sitcom block for the night. And it's not nearly as many as we had uh, when we were kids. ABC is one of the exceptions. Wednesday nights, they are maintaining... Uh, the two-hour sitcom block, and that's something that has gone away that we were used to when we were younger. The Middle, The Goldbergs, and Modern Family, and then a new show called Blackish, which uh, it's uh, you know there's that uh, Netflix show Orange is the New Black. It seems to me that Black is the New Black as far as naming shows these days. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a big fan of Orphan Black, which is on BBC America, and I don't, I don't want to. Uh, go off point here, but I'm going to have to talk about that at some point. But uh, ABC is maintaining that sitcom block for a couple of hours. You just don't see that anywhere else on the schedule anymore. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, you know, maybe like anything, I mean, we're going through a phase now and maybe we'll see a resurgence down the road a piece. I mean, you know, it's something, it seems like over the past few years, and maybe that's that's part of the demise of the sitcom that, uh, you know, my opinion, uh, you know, we've seen, you know, reality TV is still there, but that has slowly, you know, decreased how many reality shows are out there. And, or at least and, on network. On network, on yes. Network. And I feel like what happened was, which is great, it's great for TV that, that you got some good writers out there that decided we're going we're gonna to create compelling drama that that's not out of the we're going to write compelling drama. You, you don't have to see reality TV to see compelling drama. Right. And, and there was this influx of shows that were just in like this year the blacklist and go, 
you know, shows on FX like Justified and Sons of Anarchy, uh, Breaking Bad, uh, you know, shows that have really kind of just kind of grab you by the cojones dramas where now it seems like that's it's a copycat thing. It's like, all right, you know, dramas seem to be the direction of, of television. And consequently, if dramas are going to be the, the thing that, that networks are going to bank on, sitcoms are going to be the ones that are going to kind of fall by the wayside. Oh. Now that you put me on point, I've got to mention Orphan Black again. Now that we're talking about great drama, you went to cable. I've got to say, I, I binge-watched season one, ten seasons of it, uh, leading up to the premiere of the second season. This show has amazed me. The, the show, the premise itself, and the acting, and for those of you who are not aware, this is a show about uh, clones. There is the, the main character, Sarah, she has discovered, she discovers very early on that she is one of a number of clones out there who have, some of them have been in touch, some of them are getting more in touch with each other, trying to figure out what's going on, where they're from. Of course, they're being hunted. You've got this one actress, Tatiana Maslany. She is playing, at this point, eight characters, sometimes three of them in a scene with one another, seamlessly. They all have such different looks and personalities and she's just done them all in such a great way in fact in some cases she plays one character impersonating another character and she does that perfectly and the show has been great so you know you've got at one point uh she was impersonating a police officer the police are investigating then you've got two uh two warring sides going at it um one is more religious one is very scientific this show has uh, has blown me away I, week after week. Can't wait. It's on Saturday night, so it's usually a, a DVR thing, but can't wait to catch that every week. I'm going to have to check that out. Some good uh, sci-fi type action. Always always yeah. a big fan of the sci-fi. So, uh, you know, so many, you know, it's amazing. We do this show once a month, and, you know, so much news that pops up in, in the realm of, of pop culture. And, and over the course of... Uh, the next, you know, year, year plus, there's going to be so much to talk about. But the one thing that's happened since the last show that got me all a flutter uh, was hearing the news. Uh, Star Wars coming back, Episode 7, and we are going to have Leia, Han, Luke, Chewie, R2, and C-3PO, at least right now, that's what we're looking at. You know, there might be other signings going forward. I thought it was interesting that Billy D. Williams, Lando Calrissian was not on the list. Um, but who knows, maybe down the road a piece. And, uh, you know, that just, I was all a flutter. I found myself walking through the hallways at work, just Star Wars, <laughs> if they should, Bar Wars. And, and just, I was just excited. It was like my childhood coming back. Um, now they just got to give us a good script and a good movie, but that's got me pretty pumped. You know, I actually have a thought on, on the plot, the script, because they made another announcement, and I'm excited about everybody coming back. Oh, absolutely. The other big announcement a couple of weeks ago was that uh, everything that has been written in the expanded universe, and for those of you not familiar with the Star Wars speak, we're talking about everything in comic books, novels, video games, movies, TV shows. It has all 
been for what thirty five years, whatever we're talking about. It's yeah. all been approved by George Lucas. It all works together. There is a continuity. And an announcement was made that going forward, the only things that are canon are episodes one through six and the Clone Wars Cartoon Network series. It took a lot of us by surprise. And the thing that I took out of that, of the little glimmer of hope, was maybe they've written a story that is so good that even though it goes against some of what is out there in the expanded universe, it was just too good not to make. And I'm hoping that that is the case. <laughs> Fingers crossed, man. Yeah, because it was almost like we're doing a new Star Wars movie, got all the original cast, and like everyone's like debating oh, what, where could they be going and what, what could this movie be and blah, and then it's just like Disney announces, oh, by the way, do-over. Right. None of that counts. And uh, it, that was, yeah, I mean, it definitely would kind of blindsided you. Um, but I, I'm still going to try and remain optimistic. I like your theory. I think that's a good theory uh, to have. Uh, the one thing that actually I really wondered about with this movie is, now let's face it, we're, we're about the same age. Um, Return of the Jedi. Right. The gold bikini. Oh, come on. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's probably for a lot of guys our age that, that first time that you kind of you felt a little funny, but you didn't know exactly what was happening in your body, um, the gold bikini. Uh, you know, it's a, ladies out there, you want to woo your men. If your men are, you know, around the age we are, and I'm not going to tell you, if you're around late 30s, early 40s, even older, you want you want your man to do anything for you. Gold bikini. Gold bikini. Just show up in bed one night wearing the, the gold bikini, and he'll be yours. Now, listen, Ken. We are not going to see Carrie Fisher in a gold bikini. Well, that was the point I was trying to make. <laughs> right. That, like, now, you know... There's a couple things like, look, Mark Hamill is a reasonable facsimile of what Luke Skywalker was. He's, right. he's an aged Luke Skywalker. Uh, Harrison Ford, the same thing. He is an aged. He's, he's a good-looking older guy, uh, you know, optimistic. But, like, wow, Carrie Fisher, years have not been kind. And the voice, years of abuse, right. I mean, you know, I just, I, I'm, I'm like, is, is there something they can do? I'm waiting for her to, you know, the movie to open up and, you know, to go into Han and Leia's house and, Han, did you check on the kids? And, and just be you know, like, wait, wait, you know, she's got to have a softer voice. So that that made me really curious because the, the years have not been kind to her and what, what the character, Princess Leia, uh, how large a role she will have and, and what how they're going to do with it. How large a role she'll have. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm not one to to start stirring things up about women and body image. Uh, you know, I certainly understand the issues that are out there. I did see a headline. I didn't read the story, but I saw a headline yesterday that said, Carrie Fisher has lost 40 pounds in anticipation of this role. Now, I don't know that 40 pounds is going to put her back in gold bikini, you know, uh, uh, shape. However, that's out there. She does, you know, want to present Princess Leia as, you know, something that could be 30 years later. Here she is. Um, you know, I, I don't know that she's. they're going to maybe dub a voice uh, Darth Vader style. That would be disappointing, <laughs> uh, you know, to James Earl Jones. Upper, and, of course, James Earl Jones might be a, an improvement on Carrie Fisher's voice at this point. Um there have been some other uh, actors announced as well, and I bring this up. One of them is Adam Driver, 
uh, who I don't know a lot about, and that's mostly because he's on Girls on HBO, and so therefore I don't need to know a lot about him at this point. <laughs> Another one, though, is Andy Serkis. Talk about people who are, uh, you know, kind of special effects. This guy, I'm assuming, just because of what he's done before, he may not actually show up on screen as Andy Serkis. We're talking about Star Wars. We're talking about a special effects universe here. This is the guy who uh, made Gollum who he was with motion capture. And then he ended up being King Kong, and he was in the Planet of the Apes, and you never actually see him on screen. He's done cartoon voiceovers. So I wonder what they're going to do with uh, with this actor on the movie. Yeah, I mean, a lot of interesting casting, and, and, and they cast Jesus. Jesus? <laughs> Max Vaughn. How, you know, we, we've debated like the pronunciation of his last name. What is this? Cedo. I, I, I think that's what we Cedo. I think we, we looked up Cedo Max von Cedo, who played Jesus in the greatest story ever told. Who is 85 years old uh, is going to be in this. Again, we don't know what roles these these actors are going to be playing, but uh, you know, Max, a right. very good actor. Uh, so intriguing. I, I, you know, he just he screams dark side of the force, you know, when right, I think of right. him, which is amazing that he played Jesus. Um, <laughs> well, there are rumors, you know, take the rumors with a grain of salt because there were rumors about the title of the episode, which were, uh, you know, discredited. The rumor had been that Adam Driver will be one of the main villains, possibly in the expanded universe world, uh, Han and Leia's son, who was uh, turned a little bit evil. Now what I hear is it may not be Adam Driver, but it may be Max Moncito, who is the head baddie at this point. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things. And, you know, the one thing, I'm, you know, they're saying we're not using the expanded universe, but the one thing that they did in the comic books, and, and spoiler alert, they killed off Chewbacca. And that's something that deserves life on the big screen. I think that's a story to be told. I think it's time, honestly, with what, how long the story has gone for one of these major significant characters to right. wind up having an on-screen death. That's not going to be R2, you know, so uh, maybe it'll be Chewie. <laughs> um, not that the expanded universe is gone. It's just it doesn't have to be adhered to. So we'll see if some of these stories we know well will be continued. Ken, great show as usual. Yeah, I liked it. You know, a lot, we hit a lot of subject matters. We got it. We definitely got to get on the comic book thing a lot more. Like, that was cool talking about that. Uh, remember, this Sunday we'll be back talking about the summer movie season. Lots of great movies coming out Sunday at seven o'clock. You got to tune in right here at KenReedyShow dot com. Uh, give us a call. Let's talk movies on Sunday. But uh, I had a real good time. Before you know, we got about twenty seconds left. Like, you psyched about this year's movie season? I'm very excited. You know, I've been uh, watching trailers. I can't wait to see X-Men. Uh, I can't wait, hopefully, to get out and see Spider-Man. There's so many. I just get Godzilla out this weekend, so if I can, maybe I'll see it before Sunday. Who knows? Nice. See you Sunday for Todd. I am Ken. Thank you all for tuning in. Good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.